Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 29. I almost said 27. It's 29. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And today, once again, the uh, the Felix Unger of the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, Jay Pestricelli, CEO and uh, founder of Zega Financial. Jay, what's going on today? Uh, I, I appreciate being the Felix Unger, the, the regular stand-in for those that have <laughs> kind right. of missed what that joke is uh, over time. <laughs> but uh, great to be back, Derek. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this is almost becoming, for those who are sports fans, uh, Bill Simmons is kind of the the basketball guy and he's got one of the most popular podcasts. I'm talking like a couple million downloads and and he does his own podcast, but then he has this guy, Ryan Rossillo from ESPN, who comes on every, I think, Sunday or Monday. And so uh, this is what it's morphing into. So you're back and, uh, and glad to have you. And I know today we're going to go over, I'll call this the the options or the the podcast mailbag. And so this is questions that we've gotten uh, over the last couple of weeks and we just kind of been noting and saying, you know what, why don't we do a podcast just throwing a, around a couple topics that might be interesting. And by the way, if people have topics they want us to talk about, you know, reach out to either one of us with some questions and we'll come into it. And so some of the, the things I have down and we'll do them in sort of this order is, you know, the idea of why we don't do individual stock valuation and picking and why we use broad indexes. Um, how, how would I ever, you know, if I have a concentrated position with a low cost basis, how would I hedge it or is, are there alternatives? Some of the myths around options. And then I also want to talk about, you did a, a TV spot for uh, Yahoo Finance that, uh, that I will link to, of course, and, and we'll talk about that. So, Jay, if that sounds good, I'll, I'll delve right into the first topic. Yeah, let's rock and roll. All right. So a question we get from time to time is, hey, you know, you guys do a lot of trading and you do some complex stuff. Why don't you do individual stock picking or stock valuation? And so let's, one of the things I think that's interesting about this is when you, when somebody is an analyst and does an individual analyst workup and follows a company, there's a lot more that goes into it than just simply looking at, you know, PE ratio and price to book and earnings. Let's say I was going to look at, I don't know, Netflix or, you know, pick, pick a company, but I'll use Netflix for, for example, I'm a consumer. I use Netflix, Jay used Netflix and I know we like it. I have no idea what the stock should be valued at. And the reason is if I was really going to do stock valuation on a company like that, not only would I have to know what their current earnings are, but I'd have to project out the next maybe year of what their free co- free cash flow valuation is. I'd have to know a discount rate, meaning what's the interest rate that you could get on a risk-free basis. But I'd have to make estimates or guesses about what earnings will be in the future, maybe over the next five years with some growth rate. And by the way, I've got to come up with a perpetual growth rate that will keep going on into the future. I mean, we're talking years in advance. Netflix has debt. Is it too much debt? Is it too little debt? I don't know. Again, I'm not an analyst, but I've got to look at the interest rates. I've got to look at when that debt comes due. I've got to figure out what an interest rate projection is of when the debt will come due when they need to refloat it. And by the way, some of their debt is in euros. I've got to know about the exchange rate. I've got to know what's going on there. And I mentioned euros. They do business around the world. I've got to understand the business of what they're doing. I've got to understand the competitive landscape. I could go on and on, Jay, but it's it's one of those things that to really do stock uh, analyzation. Most people don't do it. There's a lot that goes into it. And by the way, what we're describing on one stock, imagine having to do that on a lot of stocks, Jay, right? Yeah. And uh, let's, let's, let's just say, Derek, that was your only job was analyzing 
uh, uh, the stock. Um, just as kind of a scorecard, how would you say analysts do generally when it comes to actually <laughs> getting it right when it's the only thing they have to do? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take a guess. Is I don't think the percentage is 100 percent, Jay. I think no, it's, oh, it's not much close to 100. <laughs> percent I think I think a good. I mean, you could do all that, and you could be right on all of your estimates, and then the market performance of the stock may have absolutely nothing to do with all of that great data. Even if you made all of these accurate projections over the next one, two, five years, and you nailed it, stock price may have absolutely nothing to do with all of that. And so, but my my point is. Even if you're the best analyst out there and you're doing all this work on a single stock, um, you may get it right on your end, but the market may not reward you because stock price is not always linked to the fundamentals. There could be, you know, changing uh, uh, industry uh, uh, flows. There could be so many different things that impact the stock um, that it doesn't matter. And so, you know, I, it's it's tough sledding getting getting individual stock picks correctly. Um, most managers don't do a good job of it. I think generally speaking, Derek, right? What do you remember the number? We did a blog post about this, uh, uh, this year. What, uh, do you remember the number of managers that don't beat the S and P 500 over 10 years? I thought it was more like 70%, but I might be low from memory. It's 92% of managers do not beat the broad indexes. Now, so part of that is because there's a fee embedded in their funds, but, you know, mutual funds are, are stock picking vehicles. Generally speaking, that's what they're doing. And, and funds are stock picking vehicles. And so, you know, 92% of them don't beat the market over a 10-year period. It seems, you know, as having less information, less resources, it almost seems folly to try to go out and pick individual stocks. Now, I, I have heard the same things, Derek, from folks like, why don't we just buy Apple? Like, just just buy Apple and Amazon and you know, and go away and come back. Well, I could probably give you a list of other companies that if you thought, you know, 10 years ago to buy them that, you know, just buy it and go away. How about Sirius XM? Derek, you remember that used to be what percentage of the NASDAQ? 10% of the NASDAQ composite, right? Yeah. In in March of 2000, Jay, that was the number one capitalized market cap stock on the NASDAQ 100. Think about that. And now it's- So who wouldn't think that that stock (laughs) would be awesome, right? Guess what? It's not, I I don't even know where it is in the S&P anymore, if it even is, right? So it's one of those things that- It's um, not- (laughs) <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, you know, so buying the stock and picking an individual name and holding it because of long-term prospects, yes, the easy answers are Apples and Amazons of the world, but there are plenty of series XMs uh, laying on the cutting floor. You know, to your point too, I was listening to someone who was really dialed into the, the mobile space. So that's cellular, that's, uh, that's technology. And he was on a podcast. If I, if I can remember it, I'll link to it, folks. But if not, uh, maybe you'll just have to find it. And one of the things he was saying is, you know, years ago, let's say in the early 2000s, late 90s, if you would have said people are going to be looking at most stuff on their phone and they're going to be doing everything on an online, you would have thought, well, Microsoft and Nokia are going to be the ones. You'll have a Microsoft operating system and a Nokia phone. Well, we have Android phones and Apple phones and there's no Windows phone. (laughs) Nokia is an afterthought. So the idea could be right, but maybe the the companies might not actually be the ones. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to look at. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's hard to, to it's hard to get those right. And so the indexes do a great job of actually picking those winners for you, right? The way they're constructed, they will naturally add value to the stocks that are doing better in, in the marketplace. And uh, Apple's a great example, right? So 
uh, it ends up being you have an outweighted, overweighted, outweighted, overweighted allocation to an Apple or an Amazon or a Microsoft because they're doing well in this environment today, right? That's the way the indexes work. That's why they're naturally designed to uh, let you experience the growth in the strong companies. Yeah, and we use options on on those indexes. And so a couple different strategies, but it also circles back to the indexes. Of course, when you have an index, you have broad diversification. You've got a lot of different companies and that eliminates that idiosyncratic risk, which is single stock risk or a few stock risk. Uh, but index is definitely their self-generating, meaning Sirius Satellite is no longer in the NASDAQ 100. Guess what is? Other things. And so that's a living, it's almost like a living, breathing thing that sort of keeps up with what is making up the the percentage of the market cap. But, you know, I mean, Jay, it's funny, the single stock thing, we mentioned that. I've noticed that we've gotten a few inquiries recently about what's called a concentrated position. Or if I like a stock and I just wanted to do it better using options in a synthetic manner, there's a couple of things there. I mean, Jay, maybe you can get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So sometimes you don't have a choice but to get the single stock, you know, in your portfolio. Maybe you you worked at a company for a bunch of years or you had a, you know, small business that got bought out by, you know, a larger firm and they use their equity as the purchase, right? I mean, I could, we run into this all the time. Um, it is becoming a more and more popular request uh, that advisors and clients are reaching out to us and asking us about is, hey, how do I protect my UPS stock? You know, I've worked there for 30 years and I've participated in their stock plan and part of my compensation was stock and my cost basis is so low, I can't sell it because I'd have a tremendous tax bill um, and so what do I do with it? And the answer is protect it and use it to generate income and plan your diversification. So that was three things I just rattled off and I'm going to go through them really quick, Derek, what I mean by each one of those. Uh, first, when we talk about protecting it, if it's a, a large stock, uh, that has an active options market, we can hedge that stock. Um, you're unhedged today when you hold it. If the stock decides to sell off 40%, I'll give you an example. We have a client that holds ConAgra stock, and ConAgra at one point dropped 40% last year. Well, we put a protection, a protective put in that portfolio. It's actually a put spread, but we bought protection and we stopped the losses at the at 20%. So as the market started dropping on ConAgra, their protection kicked in and their losses were limited. So that was the first step. So we ended up helping them avoid a 20% loss, which was great for that client. Second, we talked about using that asset, that, that stock. You know, when you own stock and you can't sell it, you're, you're, you're kind of handcuffed, right? I mean, actually, when you own stock in general, there's only two things you could do, hold it or sell it. Well, if you have a large tax liability, you can't even sell it, right? So what do you do with this asset, this large stock? Well, there are ways to generate income using that stock as collateral. And we run option strategies over, we call it overlays. Um, you could even do things that are even more simple, like, covered calls. Just generate some premium, generate some income on that underlying stock. You're probably getting dividends already. Usually, it, this, this is the way this goes. It's usually large uh, cap stocks that have dividends. You're getting some dividends, but you could use it to generate a little more income. By the way, that helps pay for your hedge. The hedges aren't cheap. Sometimes it could cost 2 3 4%. Using options, you can help offset some of that. And then the third thing I mentioned was structure some of your exits. Because you have a large tax bill now, it doesn't mean you can't spread that out over time. You could use options to kind of get paid in the form of covered calls to set your exits 
for each tax year, right? So as the as you're going through time and you want to create the natural diversification away from a single stock, even though you're hedged, you still, generally speaking, are better to be diversified in one of the index strategies that uh, that, we, that we always talk about on this podcast. Um, use uh, a selling, a, like a plan to sell that stock over time. But again, using options lets you get paid a little bit, generate a little income to offset uh, uh, some of the hedges that you're paying for. So plan for the exits, use it for income and protect it. That's the way we generally approach uh, concentrated stock. Anything you want to add to that, Derek? Yeah. And it, one thing I, I wanted to um, to delve a little on is, you know, you mentioned there's sort of a cost, but it's not a cost like it's a charge. It's just uh, so a good example is let's say the hedging, when you do hedges, you've got to spend a little money to hedge. And so let's say the underlying stock goes up 10%. You know, maybe you only realize seven percent of that, right? So it's it's more of a drag on the upside, but the benefit is the downside is materially reduced when you've got hedges on. Yeah, I'm going to get a little nerdy for a second. Typically, when we put on hedges, um, they have about a twenty five percent chance of paying off. So what does that mean? It means that one out of four years. Well, you paid a little bit into the options market to have the protection. One out of four years, you're going to get an opportunity to actually take profits on those hedges. Now, nobody ever likes to use their insurance. So when you're profiting on your hedge, it means your underlying asset dropped, like that ConAgra example I gave you. But the fact that you could actually generate profits and put some cash in your pocket or even use that to diversify away to other holdings is, is, uh, uh, is definitely one of the things to think about. With the hedges, you know, the hedges are not put on and then, you know, the expectation is that they never, uh, they never get used. I mean, we know that from time to time, those hedges are going to get used. You've got to, you've got to profit on those. Um, another example, this week, we have a client who's held Intel for years as a position in Intel. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the stock, it has dropped dramatically. Uh, it is not doing well uh, in the market right now. Guess what? We're probably going to cash in the profits from his hedges, which have stopped his losses at the level where it is. His protection was at a, a higher level than where Intel is right now. And we're going to put some cash in our pocket um, and maybe put on another hedge a little farther down. But it's a way to help monetize uh, the, the, the concept of protection. So as you said, Derek, there is a, there's a cost to put on the protection in the options market, right? You're buying a new position, but there are times... Generally speaking, one out of four, one out of five years, where you're going to get paid back the cost that you've spent over the last few years and then some. Yeah, I think it's interesting too that when you have the ability to have the hedges on, and if the hedges make a profit, it also helps you in a roundabout way to diversify, meaning you take the profits from the hedge and you can actually buy something else like an index. Exactly. That's exactly right. And that, actually, that ConAgra example, that client that we avoided 20% of their loss, we were able to take 20% of their original account value and reinvest it into a diversified portfolio, actually one of our hedged equity strategies. And uh, now they've, you know, they've they never sold any of their stock, their ConAgra stock. Um, we put on another hedge. Uh, they're still getting all the dividends that they intended to get. We're still selling uh, options over their underlying shares uh, for income. And now they've got this completely different portfolio that is not beholden to the whims of one single stock. I think what's what's fascinating about this is, you know, the concentrated position with a really low cost basis, real low cost basis, you know, XYZ fake stock, by the way, folks, is $50, but they acquired it at a cost basis of a dollar. They don't want to sell it because of the tax thing. 
And it's always like the un, you know, answerable question, what do I do with this? But with options, they are flexible and options provide really one of the rare opportunities to do something with something like that. And so I think it opens up a lot of possibilities and that, that really, um, to my knowledge, there's, there's not a lot out there to do anything for. Yep. I agree. So let's check off the box on concentrated stock. It's definitely one of the benefits that options uh, uh, provide is, is helping individuals that, that are in that type of situation. Jay, okay. one, one thing I, uh, I didn't put on the list, but you know what? We've been talking about it recently, so I'm going to call an audible and talk about, you know, th- there's, there's different times when you can buy, let's say, a stock. And let's say you wanted to buy a stock and you wanted to get a dividend. But there's actually another thing that you could do with options. And so synthetics is a really fancy way for saying you're replicating some of the profit and loss characteristics of a stock, but you're doing it with options. And sometimes that has benefits and reduced loss or uh, maybe buffers and things like that. But one of the things that's really interesting too, as an alternative to a dividend, we can actually use spreads, meaning selling some options, uh, as almost a synthetic dividend play. Jay, this wasn't on the list, but I'm like, you know what, we should talk about this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to talk about it because uh, uh, the dividend is naturally embedded to a degree in option prices, right? The option prices know a dividend is coming, especially when you get stocks like you know, AT&T, which has got right now a 6% dividend or Ford or something like that, the the options market has to recognize that there's a dividend there. So guess what? It's in the pricing and you can capture that. It allows you to, again, be hedged and protected because you're using a version of uh, of your long exposure, but you're limiting your downside um, if when, you know, if that's the way you want to do it. And then B, you're going to earn these these dividends, but you're not laying out nearly as much cash, right? They are more efficient. It's a more efficient use of cash. Um, instead of buying, uh, uh, you know, a $30 stock, it may only cost you $5 to create a spread that makes it feel like you're long that stock. And so I'm not recommending you leverage and do that six times because that's the amount that, that you could. But what I am saying is it lets you be more efficient with your cash and then actually put it in something even safer to generate more dividends, like say in a treasury or a or a protected uh, corporate bond uh, type fund. So, yeah, Derek, they're capturing dividends through options is uh, one of those benefits that most folks don't think about unless you're an options trader. But it really is a great way to be efficient with your with your money, and it's a great way to uh, uh, give yourself added protection at the same time. You know, one of the reasons, uh, or one of the, the things I remember about when I first learned about this was a lot of years ago. And, and I, I know with you and I, we've talked about how we've acquired options knowledge over the years, but it almost seemed like it, was, it wasn't correct what somebody was telling me. And the thing they said was just look at the stock and look at the option. And you know, if the dividend wasn't embedded in the price of the put, well, then you could buy the stock, buy the put, and then collect the dividend risk-free. And I was like, oh yeah, there, it's it's there. It's there, and it's called the extrinsic value, right? Yep, yep, that's exactly right. There, there, there's no free lunch on Wall Street, right? So, uh, uh, you, you know, listen, you could find structural ways of being more efficient, but you're not going to get stuff for free. So the options market is definitely going to include things like dividends in its pricing. So let's talk about some of the myths on options. And, you know, a lot of times, and I've, you know, if you watch CNBC, you hear people talking about it, 
sometimes uh, if somebody's been an accountant for a lot of years, they say, you know, no one can ever make money trading options. Uh, maybe, maybe that's true or not true, depending upon the strategy. But there's a couple of mints out there, and, and I'll just throw them out to you, Jay, and I'll let you kind of run with these, and I'll have some comments. But a couple of mints are myths are uh, they're only for short-term traders. Uh, most people lose money on options. Most options expire worthless. So you know why why even bother? Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Uh, you know, options are are risky. I'm probably missing a few, so feel free to throw in some. But these these are questions that we get. So let's think about the first ones. Number one is nobody makes money on options, and options are risky. Let's start there. Yeah, I I, I beg to differ. Okay. Right? So we <laughs> we've been yeah at, at our firm Zega Financial, we uh, are an options based firm, and we invest over the long term using options, and we'll deal with the long term short term piece in a minute. Um, we could show you plenty of strategies that year over year deliver positive results. I won't say what the results are. You could check that out. Derek knows how to get that, or you go to our site, takeafinancial.com. The results are there to show you that options-based strategies can actually enhance regular buy and hold strategies or enhance just stock or bond portfolios, or they can be uh, they can deliver positive returns all on their own, right? There are option strategies that can deliver positive gains all on their own. Now, of course, nothing is guaranteed. Understand the risks is, is important. But we have some strategies, Derek, that have never had a negative calendar year in returns, meaning every calendar year, those strategies have made money. So the, the myth that options, you can't make money trading options is absolutely false. The other one too is that it's a zero-sum game. And I'll explain what that when people say that, what they're referring to. It's the idea that if somebody made money the other side had to lose money. But here's the thing. Somebody could be using options as a hedge, and it means they if they didn't need it, if they didn't make money on the hedge, then they made money on the underlying. Or somebody might have an option that's in a spread in a multi-lake position. I mean, it's not necessarily a zero-sum game. Yeah, like you don't know the full exposure of the party on the other side of your trade. Now, I will agree that every time one of our option trades make money, somebody on the other side lost money. I agree. And when we lose money, somebody else made money. I get it. That's true. But uh, let's say that hedging example I gave you before where we talked about, hey, you know, it could be 2 3 4% a year that a hedge may cost you. Somebody made that 2 to 3 4% in each one of those trades and we lost it. However, our underlying stock probably went up because we didn't need the hedge. And so, you know, when you look at positions overall, when it comes to options, you need to know the role that they're playing in a portfolio if you want to make that zero sum gain gain uh, uh, statement. Um, sometimes you're, it's straight up hand to hand combat. My option versus you know my side, your side. Yes, that happens. But when you're investing over the long term, and the options are structured in a way that uh, they're designed to provide long term growth, which we're, we're we're advisors, right? We're we're not looking for you know one day, two day, five day trades uh, most of the time. So. Yes, it's 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 yes, it's a zero sum game. But when you think about the structure and how both sides are using it, it's not necessarily a, a winner versus loser all the time. You know, you mentioned long term versus short term, and and one of the things that people ask me sometimes, they say, "Look, options are only for short term traders." You know, those who are doing things like gamma scalping. There you go, Jay. I threw it in there. Not going to explain it. But you said gamma. <laughs> Come on, man. But it's you know, you're talking about multiple trades in a day, or you mentioned a two or three day trade, you know, doing something like 
selling a straddle or buying a straddle two days before Netflix earnings that are a 300% implied volatility. By the way, that implies a really big move. You know, the market is saying, hey, I don't know which way it's going to move, but it's going to move a lot. But, you know, what we're doing for clients is completely not that. We're not doing, I, I always say, for something like this, the short volatility or hypos, it's a long-term strategy, which happens to use short-term vehicles to express the strategy. But let's be honest. I mean, in, in some of the hedging portfolios or the, you know, the buffered portfolios, we're planning out, you know, upwards of like a year and a half, two years on, on every sort of, it's a long-term thing, but some of the option positions are, you know, they're, they're long-term. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, so you're right. Options could be used for short-term speculative moves. Um, they could also be used for income that we talked about a few times already today, but they can also be the best way to create long-term protection in your portfolio. And, uh, you know, there are options on the S&P 500 that go out to December of 2021 at this point. For some clients, we actually use those, right? And so the, we're talking multi-year options here. The way that the math works if those make sense, we'll use those. And so they, they don't have to be traded in the short run. Um, you, you know, you want protection over the long term? Great. Options are a great way to do it. You know, Derek, I, you know, I live in Florida and uh, we're coming up on hurricane season. Yes. And if there was such a thing as hurricane insurance, let's, let's call it flying coconut insurance. <laughs> I'm only saying it because we, we trimmed our coconut trees here last night, yesterday and today. And, uh, uh, you got to get rid of them before hurricane season shows up because those things turn into cannonballs. But let's just say there was insurance around uh, hurricanes. You know, you want to buy protection that covers the, the whole year because it spreads out your cost. If you were just buying protection, uh, you know, for the 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 first you know, the first couple months of hurricane season, that's going to be more expensive, right? And so if you're paying for protection the whole year, it ends up being more affordable than just paying for a specific event. Uh, and so I don't know if I'm, I'm getting this point across, but using multi-year options allow you to create protection that is more affordable. And you don't know when the hurricane's going to come. There are some hurricanes that come outside of hurricane season, right? You wouldn't want to find yourself unprotected. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into the management of hedges just yet. We could talk about that maybe in a little bit, Derek. But I think this concept of multi-year options make uh, long-term investing uh, and protection for long-term investing much easier. They don't always have to be used. Options don't always have to be used for short-term trades. By the way, speaking of a totally random offshoot, you mentioned coconuts. I don't know if it's true, but there's uh, there a lot of people claim to point to a study that more people die from coconuts each year than shark attacks, but we don't have Coconut Week on the the Discovery Channel. We should have Coconut Week. I think so. By the way, that is that <laughs> I've heard that statistic as well. I have not done the research myself, but I'll tell you when I'm walking around in my backyard, I'm looking up for my coconut killer. Yeah, <laughs> coconuts falling on your head. That'll get you. Well, I think the story was it, it was one of these uh, more a you know, Tahiti or Fiji or something like that. And they talk about these coconuts are up in the trees and somebody was on a beach and it drops. And, you know, obviously that's not going to be a good experience. And I, I didn't yeah, even think about it. 40 foot drop from a coconut tree. Yeah. yeah or in, in a hurricane, you've got, you know, coconuts flying through the air. That's not going to be good for anybody. <laughs> I mean, they're a little too heavy to fly anywhere for any distance, right? I mean, uh, you wouldn't believe how heavy a coconut is. I know the ones you get in the store are the small thing, but when you got the whole husk on it and everything like that, they're six, seven pounds each. 
And, uh, you know, Derek, I'm going to send you a picture okay. of the coconut sitting at the bottom of my tree. You could maybe put it on your site, put it with the, put it with the, webcast, put it with the podcast. <laughs> you know, when we, uh, we were involved with the education at TD Ameritrade, we had an instructor, uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll just, uh, we'll give his last name cause he hasn't given me permission, but Jeff used to do this thing and, and his whole, he would go up and I think he said, uh, who causes more deaths in a year? He didn't have coconuts. Maybe this is new information, but he said, you know, deer and sharks and there was something else or snakes. And I think, you know, uh, at the time, deer caused more deaths in the U.S. You know, if you hit a deer, it's not it's not good than sharks or snakes. But people are more aren't afraid of deer. And his point was we don't have, you know, deer week. And I, uh, but I think it's, you know, I bring this up because sometimes people are afraid of the wrong things. They're not afraid of what maybe they should be afraid of. And, and maybe this is there's some trading lesson in here. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's the, the risk you, the risk you see isn't the one that's going to get you. It's the risk you don't see that's going to get you. Right. So yeah. we want to look for risk in a lot of places. And this really goes to what was that. I tried to bridge it. No, in. no. And, and it goes to, there. no, it's great. I mean, it, but it's why, you know, you be hedged. So he, here's, here's how you kind of tie this back together. Right. We'll, we'll try this. You know, you've made the, the point, and I want to get to the, the Yahoo uh, TV interview that you did, but you, know, you always make the point, Jay, that, Hedging is a, a year-round thing. It's an all-seasons thing, and you know you should always be hedged. And by the way, when nobody wants to be hedged, that's when it's at its cheapest. But it, to kind of bring this around, to, you know, you, people are afraid of stuff that's happened in the past, but we don't know what the next thing that's going to cause a market drop, and we don't know when that's going to be either. And you know, I think it goes to the point. You know, people still talk about um, you know things that that were from two thousand or two thousand eight, and so. I think it goes, and you made this point, we'll talk about this, maybe we'll just talk about it now, right? Your your Yahoo uh, piece, and of course, link to it. But you even said, look, I mean, hedging is cheap when the markets are fearless. And you always make the point that you, you should be hedged all the time, right? I do. I do. It's actually the number one rule in our uh, in our book, Buy and Hedge, Five mm-hmm. Buying Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. By the way, do you notice I got two plugs in? Today? I know. I now I got a link to it. I got a link. If you, if you <laughs> mentioned, I got you a go. link to it. Um uh, it is the number one rule, always hedge every investment. And the reason why we do that um, is because think about this, right? It's it's as markets are pressing to all time highs, right? We know markets generally go down and up and everybody likes to buy low, sell high. Well, we instead believe don't sell while the market's at an all time high, hedge while the market's at the high, rehedge, lock in those gains. And as you just said a second ago, Derek, hedges are cheaper when the market is higher, right? The market is a reflection of fear and greed. And if the market is pressing to new highs, guess what? It, it means the market is more greedy than fearful. And when the market is more greedy than fearful, hedging is cheaper. Protection is cheaper. Everybody thinks, hey, rosy, rosy uh, days ahead of us. Everything looks good. That's why we're going to let the market run up. But that's the cheapest time to put on your hedge. And so we definitely want to take advantage of those scenarios. Buying protection while the market is in the middle of a free fall, like buying protection in December of 2018 would have been very expensive. Having it on ahead of time made a whole heck of a lot of sense. And it paid it paid off, right? There were benefits from that for sure. So it's almost like buying insurance while the house is on fire. It's going to be a lot more expensive than a normal sunny day where there's no fire and no hurricane. Yeah, I was going to say uh, buying window insurance as you see a coconut flying <laughs> through the go. air, <laughs> hurling at speeds uh, unheard of towards your house. You know, yes, yes, as you're dodging flying. That's coconuts. right. You know, the other thing they asked you on that on that piece, of course, link to it so everybody can watch it. 
Uh, it was funny too, because they asked you the question and I realized it's topical and you know, you go on TV and they never know what you're going to ask. Uh, but they asked you about the unicorn IPOs, unicorn IPOs, meaning, you know, these new and inventive companies like Lyft and Uber and Pinterest. Uh, it kind of ties back to what we were saying on the concentrated position. Um, I mean, is it, I mean, if somebody wanted to dip their toe and, and buy one of these and we're certainly not, you know, analysts on these, uh, you know, there, there's an option market though. There is. And actually, surprisingly enough, the options market came out early on those those issuances. Usually, you got to wait 60, 90 days. They were out almost immediately within a week or so of each one of their IPOs. And it's because there was already so much volume and the, the market caps were, were big enough to support that. Um, so let, let's talk about this for a minute. So Uber, Lyft are two great examples, very big names. Everybody's been waiting for years for them to become public. And you want to own one of these. Well, I, you know, if you're not going to use options you need to really be careful about managing your risk on these, right? Manage the dollars that you put into them. I'm not saying don't take a flyer on it. If you have conviction that you believe, uh, you know, Uber Eats is going to be the next best thing. And yes, Uber is in existence, but it's all just a, a, a vehicle for things like Uber Eats or they're going to go all autonomous. Whatever the, 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 the reason you have conviction for the stock is, that's fine. Manage the amount of dollars you put into that, right? Manage your risk. If you're not going to use options, you know, be careful. Just realize that that money is going to be, I'm not saying it's throwaway money because I don't think Uber would be worth zero, but uh, not that I make it a recommendation, but it's it's money that's going to be clearly volatile. I mean, it's going to flex fluctuate up and down quite a bit. However, if you want to use options, if you're willing to use options, you could create the, uh, a limited risk in that kind of a position. And if your theory is right, that it's going to go up, you could profit from that and you could do it in a protected way. So for example, looking at Uber today, and while I won't go into prices, you could create some protection where you may experience the first 10% of it dropping, but capture the first 15% of it rising. And you could do that at a very low cost. And so if you want to do some of these flyers, options provide you a better vehicle for it uh, whether you're doing, Derek mentioned synthetics before, or you're doing things like um, buying a protective put or selling a call against it, which we call a collar. All of these tactics can allow you to put money into uh, these hot IPOs that clearly can go any direction in their first year, um, but you could do it in a way where you've managed your risk. So I'm, we're not against them. Uh, while we won't pick them individually, uh, if you if if you want to trade them, uh, there's a better way to do it with options. We are all for managing your risk in them, though. Yeah, you made the other point too on that broadcast. Uh, you said, look, you know, you, you could allocate, you can control risk a couple different ways. You can hedge, okay, so that's one thing. But the other thing you can do is control position size. So I think you always make the point. You made the point in the book. There you go. I said it. So now it's an official plug. That, right. that you can take, uh, what was it, 3 to 5% of your total portfolio if you weren't so inclined. And maybe that's your, uh, where you, you take a, a couple individual positions, right? I think I got that. Yeah, use your, use your inner guru and put money to work. We don't recommend you doing any more than, you know, in total of 20% of individual stocks if you, if, you, if you have conviction. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend any single name either. Uh, uh, to have that, you could absolutely replicate that somewhere else. Uh, so, man, limit your risk. Uh, you know, small amounts if you have conviction on a stock, and you know, you could do it in a hedged way. Then, you know, you got our blessing. All right, Jay. So uh, maybe we should rename this podcast the Coconuts. I don't know if anybody's uh, has that. <laughs> <laughs> 
go nuts with coconuts. I, don't, I got you, man. Well, listen, it's it's a good analogy uh, for for you know the stuff that we're talking about and and identifying the the risks that you you don't see. I like how you connected. You know, connected it to the fact that we don't know what's going to cause the next market downturn. I, I'm pretty sure, Derek, we will have a market downturn at some point, right? Don't you think? You think downturns are gone forever? No. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, unless you're Australia, apparently. Remember I mentioned that a couple of podcasts ago, and uh, yeah. they haven't had a recession since 1991. I remember I threw that out there, and I didn't remember the year. But yeah, no, Jay, I mean, at some point, we will have another recession. Um, the question is, when? And if we do, is it? really deep and bad or is it not and by the way if you're hedged um maybe you're not too worried about it right you're not you're actually and i think we've talked about this previously you're incented for the market to really go right if it's going to go through your hedges you might as well let it go all the way all right so these two coconuts will uh will sign off for this week uh folks we'll put some links in the uh, in the show notes that you can check out and of course if uh, on a future episode you have some topics you want uh, Jay and I to discuss go ahead and reach out to us uh, me at razorwealth.com Jay at uh, zegafinancial.com and uh, just you know put podcast in the in the headline and uh, you know we certainly love to uh, to hear from everybody and uh, if you like what you hear please share it with uh, friends or even people who aren't friends you can share it so Jay thanks again for coming on you got it Derek glad to be here all right see you everyone